from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. That sucked. <laughs> Should we do it again? No. Yes. Well, you know I don't edit it out. Okay. So it doesn't really matter. Care. It's okay. a tiny house. Fu- you want to do it again? Yes. Okay, right. let's do it again. That's way better. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. Hey, this is Michelle MJ Boyle. And this is <laughs> McDonald Grant. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I know to you guys, uh, listeners, and uh, well, I was going to say viewers, but I'll say listeners. Y'all don't know. We, we had a, was it a four-week break? Yep. Pretty much. Yeah, four-week break. It was nice. Mark was in the desert. I was in my head, and Michelle was doing what she normally does. Building tiny Building houses. Building tiny houses. Dyeing my hair, cutting my hair, <laughs> buying it shoes. It looks great. Thank you. You bought more shoes? Yes. Well, I, I Are had- Are those new? Yeah. And I had to also buy some new festival boots. Because you know, my thing is when I go to all these festivals, I have to buy new pairs of stage boots. Can't wear the same boots. We saw your suitcase. Once. We believe it. <laughs> yeah. oh, you, had, you had boots in a suitcase bigger than both Perry and our suitcases combined. combined. And that was just my boot suitcase, by the way. That was just my boots suitcase. <laughs> Remember that? And then I had so much weight coming back that I actually had to take some of my stuff out of my boot suitcase and <laughs> carry it with me. And that is so, d- by the way, that's really dumb. Why would they let you take weight or ask you to take weight out of your luggage to put in your backpack to take on the, the same, same plane? plane? Mm-hmm. Does that and make that's sense a really good question, actually. It's, it, I was going to say it's about weight and balance being an uh, inactive pilot, but it, you're right. It's, a, it's an interesting... It's a net, net zero. It's a net zero, yeah. So weird. So, yeah. so I have a question for you guys. Okay. Real quick. Okay. No, no. Go ahead. Yeah. Go so ahead. I'm writing an article about what people can do to, uh, to sort of advance the tiny house movement, um, to help it along. I think many people are like they don't know what to do. So I'm writing an article that answers this very simple question, and I'll ask either one of you or both of you <clears> to answer your your personal advice. So, if your average tiny house enthusiast has one hour. And they want to do something to advocate specifically for tiny houses on wheels. They have one hour. What is your advice for them that they can do, Perry? Ask Mark first. Okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Bat that badminton over so, here. So they have one hour. One hour. That, that is your average enthusiast. We're talking about tiny houses on wheels in particular. So what? Do they one, have a tiny house already or not? Doesn't matter. What can well, they if, do if to the, help? The, the legality, help the movement in general in one hour's worth of time. I mean, I'd say if they had a tiny house, getting people in it to see it okay. would be what I would try to do. Perfect. I would say write a letter to their state regulating body. State? Okay. Yeah, I think. Trying to go above the city here? Yeah. So are we talking senator? Or are we talking like building officials? I was thinking the uh, <coughs> actual regulating body that would address this issue. So I guess it would be the, would it be zoning or planning? One of those two. Well, zoning really is a local, that's really more of a city level uh, issue. True. Yeah. Um, zoning is, is really, really particular to the, to the local. 
Well, I think, I mean, I mean, most, I think most people aren't aware at the super high level where all this conversation is happening, mm -hmm. but the local individuals can be really effective at the local level, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think at both levels, they're all animals. Nice transition, you bastard. <laughs> he stole it. You were getting down into super geeky yeah. talk there, and we had to bring it home. Circle back. He stole my loot train. <laughs> That's a reference to Game of Thrones, in case you didn't hear. Um, so yeah, there, there's a bunch of crazy, crazy creative animals in the tiny house movement, and we just happen to have two on the show today who also happen to be creative animals in other areas. In fact, they're probably more well-known in those... Uh, in those other areas than they are in tiny houses. So let's, let's open up this story and introduce Stephanie Arn. Hope I got that last name right. And Tim David Davison. Tim and hey, Stephanie. Good morning, y'all. Hi. Good morning. Good How's it going? Morning. Uh, it's going great. And it is, it is Arnie. 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 Thank you. Thank you. He always gets yeah. the name wrong. It doesn't him. matter yeah. if it's John, Joe, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Even if he's told right ahead of time. <laughs> I know. Early on, when set. you say Bob, you go boob. I, mean, exactly. <laughs> I get the emphasis wrong, so it's Bob instead of Bob or Bob. Um, so, so, just a little bit about um, Stephanie and Tim's endeavors. They have this great intersection with the tiny house movement right now. They're conducting a, a U.S. tour, fifty city, United States tour, uh, to promote sustainability uh, in conjunction with their foundation called the creative animal foundation and the, so they have this goal their mission is to challenge one million people online and in person to live a more sustainable lifestyle and they're doing it all from a tiny house and uh, mark showed me this fantastic video that i presume andrew odom produced for y'all uh touring your deliciously beautiful tiny house that was uh, put together by can we say the name of the the sponsor? The I'll just bleep it out. Okay. No, I won't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was built by 84 Lumber. <laughs> and it's a gorgeous tiny house. And, and that's why we want to have them on the show is, well, we, you know, the tiny house podcast covers more than just tiny houses. We talk about simple living and sustainability. And so from my perspective, having Michelle organize this interview was right up our alley because it does cover pretty much every area that we talk about. So, um, so Stephanie and Tim, did I did I do you guys justice, or you want to add something more about what you're doing? No, I think you covered it. Great, because what I really want to talk about is the Wild Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> it actually, seriously, <laughs> prior to this, the rest of this topic, yeah, it's true. But like prior to the interview, I I'll give you this the in studio conversation, like. <gasps> Oh my God, she was in Wild Kingdom? Seriously? Do we have to talk about tiny houses? We want to talk about that instead. Well, actually, Wild Kingdom is a huge uh, stepping stone. Is it a part of the story? So I don't feel guilty for asking because it's a big part of the story. Okay, great. Because, it, you know, it, you know it's, we want to hear the story, how, how it was a stepping stone. And the reason why I'm interested in, in your connection with, I mean, you're a freaking host of one of the shows that was, that was, something that I grew up on with Marlon Perkins and that other guy who was so not really prominent. He Jim did. Fowler. It was he, it Jim Fowler? He was the one that was always like getting in danger, like, I'll go feed the rhinos now. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> While Marlon kind of buffs his mustache. And <laughs> Isn't that funny that the younger generation will just don't 
get it. Like there's now there's nope. there's so much press and there's so much content available. But for those of us that watch Mutual of Omaha back then, that was a big deal. It was a big deal. That was a big deal. That was like how we wow really zebras are like striped and black mm-hmm. and white like. It well, was some of us had that ahead of time, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a little What's older really than me, so maybe you learn is when people, when people meet me or they're at a Wild Kingdom event, um, it, there'll be, you know, this woman who has a daughter who is somewhere between, you know, let's say 10 and 21. Exactly. And she'll be like freaking out. The mother will be freaking out. Be like, oh my gosh. And it's not necessarily about me. It's that I'm touching on this incredible nostalgic button that all of you have and she just freaks out it's like oh my gosh every sunday i yes. used to watch yes. marlon perkins after mm-hmm. dinner and that other guy that used to jump on elka <laughs> <laughs> nobody remembers his name <laughs> and then she looks at her daughter like this is the new host this is the new thing oh my gosh and then the you know the daughter just looks at her like whatever mom (laughs) (laughs) she just they don't know and so i'm like "Uh, basically i just host this online animal show and they're like oh cool anyway (laughs) (laughs) but you know the mom's like tearing up and forcing me to take pictures with her daughter who really does not give a crap about me or the show (laughs) at all (laughs) but it makes the mom's day so that's fine um so really it all started where uh Tim and I, we started obviously separately in our 20s. We were traveling around working with animals and doing conservation projects all over the world. Tim primarily in the U.S. and myself um, anywhere from Africa, Australasia area. And we we both were in love with animals and very in love with ecology and how we were connected to these animals. And we were seeing through many, many years and many conversations with people that there was a disconnect between ourself and nature and how our actions are impacting nature and how, of course, that's coming back to us and hurting us. And so I was kind of figuring that out while I was on the road. And then I came back to the United States after working in Australia and New Zealand and Papua New Guinea for a couple of years. I was pretty tired. And so I came back to Hawaii to work at the Honolulu Zoo for the second time. And that's when I started to get this like seed, this idea in my head that I have to share this, everything I saw about palm oil and the plastic pollution. I need to share this with everybody because it's happening and nobody's talking about it. So I was trying to create a local TV show and I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I knew nothing about script writing or producing or anything that had to do with entertainment world. But I just kept networking until I found the right people that really helped me get to where I am today. But what was really cool is that there was actually a competition to become the host of Wild Kingdom. And it popped up around um, the exact same time that I was writing a pilot program um, for our own show. And I was like, well, screw this. I'm just going <laughs> to apply for that show. <laughs> and so I, we had to audition with a two-minute video that went up for the entire world to see on their website. And then after a couple months of it being on, then they started a... Um, well, they decreased it from like 600 to 200 down to 12. And then once it got to the top 12, they asked the public to vote for the person that they wanted to be. They wanted the host to be for like 13 days straight. And that's where Tim came in. And uh, everybody voted for Steph and not me. <laughs> wait, wait, were you one of the, were you one of the top ones? I was one of the top 12. Oh, um, and 
I watched Stephanie's video when it was still like 600 people and I'm like, wow, this girl's got something. She's awesome and sparkly and like 22 years old is what I thought. But uh, <laughs> then <laughs> dropped down to the top 12 and she messaged me one night and said, hey, I love your video. I love your message. Let me know if you want to geek out sometime and talk about dinosaurs. And I lost it. <laughs> I, was, I was in from that point on. Um, but then she told me her whole resume and everything that she'd been doing. And I knew that I was outgunned at that point. So from the job that I thought that I had in the bag, Stephanie blew me and everybody else out of the water. <laughs> wow. How very gracious but, uh, of you to admit that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so, so Tim, let me interrupt and ask you to, to, to catch us up on who you are. So Stephanie gave us a really good rundown. Where, where did you come from and how'd you get in, involved in the wild kingdom host pick contest? Oh, that's a great question. I, uh, I'm from Nebraska originally, and I grew up in a small town called Wahoo, Nebraska, which is not too far away from <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to say it. You got to say, say Wahoo. <laughs> um, but while I was going to college, I got a job with a rescue outside of town, an exotic wildlife rescue. And they had everything from bears to monkeys to snakes, birds, you name it. And what my job was, I would take those animals from school to school and teach elementary, middle, and high school students all about the animals and then what they could do to help them out. So I went from city to city across the United States, speaking at schools and uh, working with a whole bunch of really cool animals. And over a few years of doing that, I went to 48 out of the 50 states and spoke to over a million kids about conservation and sustainable living. Funnest job and, uh, ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the best job ever. Um, and then I applied for this other job, right? Um, so when we weren't going to schools and like Boy Scout troops and libraries, we did a lot of animal handling for Mutual of Omaha. So I already had a relationship with the people running this contest. And uh, <laughs> I filled in for one of the hosts shortly before the contest came out. And they said, hey, animal guy, you should make a video and apply for this job. And <laughs> it was so in the I, bag. I thought I had it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was on the inside track. It was a dead end. Yeah, exactly. I thought I had the inside job. They handpicked me, but no, no, no. Uh, yeah. Like I said, uh, Stephanie blew me out of the water and everybody else involved. So uh, it couldn't have worked out any other way. Stephanie is uh, much more of a people person than I am. Mm. And knowing what she has to do for Wild Kingdom and going and schmoozing with people and having to relive this Wild Kingdom nostalgia from 40 years ago over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, Steph's a rock star at I it. <laughs> I bet that would get tiring. Yeah. I, I'm sure you've heard yeah. every I remember the day exactly. when. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. And I, you know, it's, really, it's funny because everybody remembers the same thing. There's like three sentences that people just repeat um, and it's thousands and thousands of people. And you just repeat the same thing, and and we've nailed it down to uh, Carson. So Jim Fowler used to go on Johnny Carson all the time, and it was Johnny Carson that used to always say, "Oh yeah, Jim Fowler, there you are wrestling the anaconda while Marlon Perkins playing cards in the Jeep." <laughs> repeat that, and so Johnny Carson has—I mean, he had obviously a huge influence on our on our culture, mm. but he has no idea how much influence he had in my life, even mm. though he doesn't even know that I exist because <laughs> he's dead, <laughs> but he had a huge influence on my life because people remember that. And what I think is funny to share, which is actually horrible, this is my, my sarcasm and my humor, 
But they're like, yeah, remember that episode where he's like wrestling the anaconda? I'm like, actually, that wasn't even Jim Fowler. That was Marlon Perkins that was wrestling the anaconda. But when Johnny Carson remembered it, he said it was Jim and Jim's there live on live TV being interviewed. And so, of course, he's not going to lie and be like, well, actually, it wasn't me wrestling this huge anaconda. It was Marlon. So he just stopped and said, okay, it was me. And now everybody believes that it was Jim Fowler wrestling this like 30-foot python or anaconda, whatever it was. And so I, I told... I remember the first day I told my mom and my grandma and they were like, wah, wah, you suck. Stop telling us this stuff. You ruined nostalgia forever. I did. I'm the worst. So, so, so on, on, a, on a little serious note, so the, the, um, so your show is, is not on TV. It's online now. Yeah. Yeah. So when we started in 2013, the original goal was to just do one webisode. It was just kind of a fun marketing nostalgic campaign that they were doing but somehow um i i didn't let them let go of me and so now we've done about four years of webisodes so online short shareable fun programs that you could find on wildkingdom.com or on wild kingdom tv on youtube if you type in wild kingdom tv you can find everything from <clears throat> 10 seconds to 10 minutes of of individual segments and i just started filming now for another season and we are Apparently, Mutual of Omaha says we're ready to blow it up. We're ready to, to really nice. get this brand out again. And they're super excited and passionate about Wild Kingdom. So we'll, we'll see where we go from here. I'm, I'm excited. We, we filmed, we're filming four new stories this year. And they're a little bit more serious than the ones we've done before. A little bit more targeted towards uh, some serious issues that are happening in terms of wildlife trafficking and climate change and um, habitat destruction, but we're also pulling in videos from the past. So our theme this year is then and now. So we're going to touch on some stories that Jim and Marlon did in the seventies and see where are we at with this now? Mm. You know, we showed an episode of, uh, let's say we show some clips of bald eagles and how they were struggling in the sixties and seventies, but look, it's a positive story now because of human intervention and, and passion. And so let's look at what Jim and Marlon did. We have 30, 40 years of our archives of this incredible footage of what life was like in the past and how we saw animals and what was going on then. So let's pull it in and check in. So I'm pretty excited to kind of blend um, old school, new school together. So you have to keep your eyes open for what we're doing next. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even know the show con was continu had continued even at one ep episode and now you've got a couple of seasons behind you. I, I have a question for you about this genre of programming in general. So okay. not too long ago, there were a couple of stories that came out that described how, and I don't remember if Mutual of Omaha, how, what the format was like. I just remember the nostalgia that I feel for it. But the, these stories came out and talked about how shows like Mutual of Omaha and that BBC show that got a lot of accolades for the beautiful filming they did. of It's Planet Earth, I think it was mm -hmm. called. Correct. Mm -hmm. how, how those kind of shows, they a lot of the footage that they shot and the sound associated with that footage, a lot of that stuff was either staged or shot in a zoo or, or organized in some way because it's just so freaking hard to get animals in their natural habitat. I heard there's a podcast, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was a podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you, it, so I haven't seen your version of, of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdoms, Stephanie and, and Tim. Is it, is it, are you is, asking if she has a microphone? Well, <laughs> no. I'm asking, I'm asking if, I'm asking what do they think about yeah. that? And is, yeah. and is, is the, is the fake news aspect of wildlife shows a, a, a reasonable cost to pay 
or a reasonable enough ruse to play in order to get the public to appreciate the wildlife resources and the importance of, of conserving them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do they fly yeah, you know, to Africa really for like a 10 minute shot? I had that same realization as well. When I first got into production, I was like, wait, hold on a second. That's not a real red tail hawk right. noise. You know, <laughs> right. I, I, production filmmakers have an incredibly difficult, job and I know a lot of people would love to have this job but there is a lot of really hard work that goes into it and to make it a story that really emotionally impacts a human being is there's so many components to it and when you get out into the quote-unquote wild um it's not easy to get audio especially with with so much human activity happening all over the planet I have to stop every five seconds because of a plane um so it in order to get some of these sounds yeah, there's either moments where you have to have somebody hiding in a tent for hours or days mm. in order to hopefully collect the type of uh, sound that you want from that animal, which of course we never make an animal doing do anything. But if you're talking about courtship behavior and you want to get what a blue-footed booby sounds like, you you might have to hang out for a really long time to get that exact sound and go at a certain type of year. And so when I learned about how they did Foley, in yeah. order to save time and money and to get that really rich audio that would emotionally impact a person, I was incredibly fascinated by it. So it's not 100% of the time that they do use fully or use an audio recorded um, sound of that animal. But when they do, it does, it, it is absolutely worth it. Mm. Because yeah. it, makes that con- it makes that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in order to make that the the whole point of share of storytelling is emotionally impacting somebody in order to hopefully change their behavior, and that behavior could be to take action, whether it's donating money or volunteering their physical hands to help out with a project, or um, you know their voice in order to legally help with a with a topic or an issue. So it, it's amazing how something as simple as a really close up shot of the eye of an animal or the sound a mother gorilla makes to its baby emotionally impacts a person to really want to help out that species. So yeah, it's sometimes you do need to go a little bit above and beyond to make a production, the storyline of a happen the way that you want it to. So let's talk about, let's talk about your tour because it's, it's um that's uh, predominantly what we, uh, want to hear about I guess <laughs> is that really let me call out let me call this yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. really quick because you're talking about because yeah. I heard it too it was fantastic it's yeah. 99% invisible uh, episode from April of this year called natural sounds yeah. in most wildlife films the sounds you hear were not recorded when the camera was rolling most filmmakers use telephoto lens and there's no sonic equivalent good audio requires a microphone close to the source of the sound which can be difficult and dangerous well it's interesting because they yep. in that in that show they talk about foley's and one of the things they mention is that, for example, when an elephant is walking through the, the, the tundra, the field, they're not making any noise because their feet are heavily padded. And so they're, as exactly. big as they are, they're silent. Yet in these shows, you hear like the rustle. Exactly. And, <laughs> and the rustle of grass and stuff like that. And that just doesn't really happen in the wild, really. Yeah. And there, there are times where, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you guys have friends that are nurses and doctors and they are cops and they watch these CSI yes. or anything. They're like, there's no such thing as 5,000 cc's of this. <laughs> I'm the same way when I watch animal shows. You know, some of them, I understand why they make the choices they do. I know the bigger picture of it. And then there's others where I'm like, ah, you know, it's not an 
That's Dougie. This movie or this commercial and oh, like this newest, there's a newest movie that just came out where Porcupine shoots out its quills and I cannot, oh man, I wanted to walk out of the movie. I was so annoyed. I'm like, stop teaching this stuff. It's not true. And why that's a big deal is if you're afraid. Yes. You believe them right? uh, porcupines shoot out their quills you'll be afraid of them and if you're afraid of the animal you don't care if it dies you don't care if it's yes. killed in order for your survival and your safety so porcupines get killed because people think they're going to shoot their quills at them and it's all because of a damn cartoon wants to keep pushing <laughs> out this idea for a laugh yesterday. i ah! literally just watched that movie yesterday <laughs> i know exactly what movie she's talking about I know exactly what sound they used and the porcupine was like all stressed out and that's what they did. And yeah, that's so funny. It, it is funny because I, you know, we've seen so many times in movies where, where like the, the rattler will attack the, the hiker or the cowboy and the rattlesnakes that I've come to come across in the natural world, they usually, well, I was going to say run, but they usually slither away. <laughs> They don't coil yeah. up and get ready to strike you. You do live in a cartoon world, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess after seeing all that, you know, it's really, that's what really helps Tim and I realize that we are disconnected. And if we're disconnected yeah. and if we're not being told the truth from the medium that we learn from, then we need to work with that medium to educate people with the correct information. And so we're, I guess that's, kind of what leads us into this tiny house. You know, when Tim and I first started talking about, okay, what do we want to do in our spare time when, when I'm not doing Wild Kingdom and when he's not selling art, we wanted to make a YouTube channel to kind of show the truth of what's going on, but do it in a really fun way that was entertaining. And when I saw the tiny house show, I was like, oh my gosh, if we're going to go on tour and teach all over the country and share this information, we've got to have this as a tour bus. <laughs> And I, uh, I thought Steph was crazy to begin with. We all honestly. are. <laughs> <laughs> the original idea was, of course, to get some sort of RV and travel across the country and teach at high schools and go and film at national parks and zoos and rescues, et cetera, et cetera. But then Steph woke up one day and said, I got it, guys. Let's get a tiny hus and get on one of those TV shows. And it fits in so well with our messaging of living more sustainably and people will love it. It'll attract people like a magnet and, yeah. Now, 11 months into this project with the tiny house. Oh, my goodness. Steph's a genius. Because <laughs> you are getting Crazy a lot of attention, genius. yeah? We're getting a lot of attention. And gosh, we can't even go to the gas station and get fuel without a line of people showing up and saying, what is this? What's inside of it? Do you guys have animals in there? <laughs> or, uh, is this the tiny house from one of those shows? My favorite is, is that real? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Are, are you real? Are you here? <laughs> so I, I saw that this was a way that, you know, so many people, millions of people are watching the tiny houses, house shows right now. They're fascinated with it. And I was like, wow, this is a way that we can, you know, take this type of entertainment and slide in our sneaky message about, you know, let, let's learn more about how we can be connected to each other and our planet and um, how we can help. This is a way that we can help out animals. And, and so I just saw the, where the entertainment was going. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this while we can. And plus, selfishly, I really wanted to live in a tiny house. Mm, really <laughs> smart. So I, I've got a personal question for you both. Um, are you, you guys are not in a relationship. Is that right? 
<laughs> are you married? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I was going. Is this sin? And we get that. We get that all the time also, especially because we're living in here and we let families. Yeah. We've had about 15,000 people and families come in with their kids and they're like, oh, where do you guys sleep? And we're like, we sleep up there. And then the dad looks at us like, are you guys married? <laughs> like, you just see this panic attack like, oh my God, my child thinks it's going to be okay to live in a tiny house with, you know, being married. Um, so... Tim and I have been together now for four years straight and run uh, several businesses together. Yes, we're in a relationship. We see ourselves as married. Um, we just haven't gotten to it yet. <laughs> We've been really busy and those wedding busy. things take a lot of time. Yeah, weddings are expensive and they have a lot of money. I keep telling him, let's just go to the courthouse. I have personally uh, proposed to him like seven times, oh. but he keeps saying no to me. So <laughs> I, I have your idea. Drive through tiny house wedding. <laughs> what was that? Drive through tiny house wedding in Vegas. <laughs> We've heard that our, our production crew, the cameramen on our team, always make fun of me all the time. They're like, we just need to get to a tiny chapel. We need to get yeah. to <laughs> basically, yes, we, we see ourselves as married. Um, we are very much a couple. and uh, Very cool. Yeah. So, so, okay. So a couple of more questions. You said when you have your spare time. So what is your time like uh, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis? And how do you squeeze this tour in? And then the other, and then the other question is, um, you, you mentioned a film crew. So do people follow you in a bus or something like that or what? Okay. So wild kingdom and the creative animal foundation, us two are two separate entities. Um, Tim and I are the founders of the creative animal foundation and we're the caretakers of the creative animal foundations, tiny house on wheels. And we are the, we're volunteering our time as hosts of this tour in order to accomplish the Creative Animal Foundation's mission. I live in here full time via the volunteer contract to, in order to keep this place safe um, and, and to, to meet our mission. But if Wild Kingdom, our Mutual of Omaha calls me and says, hey, we have five events planned this year for you to do, you know, media events. I go on Harry Connick Jr. a lot. Um, or to film for an episode, then I put that on my calendar. And as long as Tim can drop me off in an airport and pick me up from that same airport or a different airport, <laughs> then I'm good to go to do both projects. But that means that my life is nonstop working, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. At first, it was really difficult and I was kind of going insane. But I think now after the last few months, I'm really starting to get the hang of it. And I really love it a lot. What were you, is this something um, that you always wanted to do or did, I mean, is this but like your- Live in a tiny house? No, 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 but, but live- Or start a nonprofit? Do, do all the things that you're doing around animal conservation tied to travel and um, uh, education and communication and all these things. When you were a kid, did you imagine this or were you thinking of a different kind of track, like a modeling profession? Yeah, um, I absolutely knew that I wanted to work with animals. My mom said that I was an interesting child. <laughs> I never played really with Barbie dolls. I played with dinosaur uh, figures and I dug up, I pretended to dig dinosaur bones and I tried to build forts and I would catch snakes and frogs and I always wanted to travel. I My nose was always in a National Geographic magazine and I would watch reruns of Wild Kingdom and Marty Stoffer's Wild America. And as I got older, of course, Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin and Jack Hanna and a bunch of men's names, if you haven't got the gif here. Um, and I was really inspired by that. So I, I knew when I was a child that my purpose was to help t- 
really speak on behalf of, of animals and nature. Um, so yeah, I, as a kid, I've always known this. Did I knew I wanted, you know, did I ever want to live in a tiny house? I had no, I had no clue this, this part of it was ever going to happen until I saw it on TV and I'm like, yes, that will be mine. <laughs> and, and, and. <clears throat> so earlier in the conversation, Tim had mentioned that he thought you were 22 or something along those lines. So, um, so I'm going to ask you the other personal question. Um, how old are you? Um, I'm 34. So 34 oh. going on 22 then, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's some African-American I, genes in there. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do get that a lot. And to be really honest, I really, as soon as I got the hosting position, which I was 30 at the time when I got it, I've kind of struggled with that in terms of how that plays in with my identity and how it plays in with branding. Um, because I am 34, I'm unmarried, I don't have children, I don't know if I want to birth my own children still at 34 yet. Um, I've always been very playful and childlike, and I, I am really goofy and smile all the time, and I don't know if the combination of that has made me appear to be 22 because almost everybody that I meet is like oh yeah you like 23 24 and I'm like nope 34 and they're like whoa you're an old maid <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> so I I've really kind of been going through a personal journey in the last year just trying to figure out how does I, I know that I'm very different than a lot of people and and or maybe I shouldn't say we're all different than each other, but just different than how most females are portrayed in my field. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but I've just kind of realized that this is just who I am. I'm, I'm going to always kind of be childlike, I think. Great. And, and I think that that makes me happier yes. anyway. Yes. Adulting isn't fun. No. <laughs> well, on the other side of that aging spectrum, however, I just turned 50. And so I'm now sort of like, going through that sort of self-identity as well. Like, okay, I'm, I'm the old lady, right? And I still think and act like I'm very, very young. And so that's becoming, I believe, on a, you know, society in general doesn't think that's very cool either. So I'm sort of like going through a checklist, like, okay, well, I'm, I can still, you know, do stuff and I'm pretty smart and I'm still outgoing and I can, you know, like, I, so I'm on the other end of that spectrum. Um, I think women, we are continually sort of measuring ourselves against what society or um, other people expect us to be. So, uh, so I, that was a really, really great answer that I think a lot of women in gen just across the board can relate to. Yeah. I think it, like, it, I, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to, I'm sorry. I was just going to add to that really quickly that, that I, I think I feel it. And I'm pushed on it a little bit more just because I do have people of all religions and ages and um, belief systems all over the country walk in this house. And I kind of turned their, I think both Tim and I kind of turned their perceptions um, upside down. Just like, okay, so you're to, you're living together, but you're not married and you don't want to have kids, but you look 20 and you run these businesses and you're the first female of this iconic animal show. And ah, you know, so I, I, it's been interesting personal research to just see how we do have, we are programmed to think and feel a certain way about, certain types of people or male or female and, and how Tim and I, regardless of what our mission is, I think we still hopefully are changing some perceptions, whether people like it or not. I think you both are. And I think that's probably as important a mission as the stated one of your organization. Thank you. I wanted that pregnant pause to just hang out there for a little. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to ask you, so, 
So you've been um, you've been on the did road we, for eleven. Did we months. finally get a period on the end of a sentence? Exactly. We've been talking over each other this whole time. So you've been on the road for eleven months. How many states have you gotten to? Or how many? Sorry, okay. how many cities? How many cities? Well, let's see. Um, the story has been a complicated one thus far. We've been on the road truly for uh, about fourteen months now, fifteen months, um, with the tiny house for eleven months, and officially on tour for five and a half months yeah. or so um we s- officially started the tour because we filmed with hgtv and diy and uh tiny house big living and all that and we had to wait for the episode to get edited before we could really show off the inside of the house and really launch the tour so we launched that in february down in the florida keys made our way up the east coast through georgia on up to dc through pennsylvania then west to eventually the midwest and now here in colorado i think what were we up to, like 17 states? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you guys go about booking your appearances at, at uh, I guess you do this at schools? Where do you, where do, you do these? Yeah. Events? How do you do it? That's a great question. Um, we've really mixed it up. Uh, high schools and universities are our absolute favorite places to go. Um, we feel like we can make the most change in the least amount of time and really make an impact before these students get into the quote unquote real world and buy a house, buy a car, you know, go on their way to being a, a, an American consumer Mm -hmm. in the most wasteful country on the planet. So, um, we know we can get some traction there, but this summer we've mixed it up and we've been to gosh, the, the Maryland zoo in Baltimore. We, uh, stopped at the Carnegie museum in Pittsburgh. Uh, we were at the Prairie fire museum in Kansas city, the Omaha zoo, um, where else have we been? Uh, children's children's zoos in South Dakota or children's museums in South Dakota. Um, so yeah, we've been really mixing it up. We've been trying to really figure out and, and gr- kind of creating this thing while we're doing it. And so what we've been kind of doing is <laughs> we've been just reaching out to people and saying, Hey, look at our tiny house. Here's some info about what we're doing. Can we come park our tiny house right in the middle of your property and talk to people? (laughs) And we have been doing it for free. Mm. And obviously that saves a lot of money and a lot of time. A lot of corporations have to go through a lot of hoops to try to get a fee covered for us. So we do have sponsors and some donors. um, And then I've been donating a lot as well to make this tour happen because we don't, this message is so important about sustainability that we we don't want money to prevent anybody from hearing the message, regardless of whether it's an elementary school, university, or a museum. So at this point, we've been volunteering everything, and that really helps us get a lot of bookings. Um, but it's still, it's very time-consuming, and we would love it if anybody would want to volunteer to help us make these bookings. <laughs> Actually, if we could uh, plug something with your audience. Go ahead, yeah. Uh, we have a new feature on our website to where people can suggest where we go throughout the tour um, on creativeanimal.org. If you go to the tiny house tour tab and suggest a location, you can drop a pin on a map and say, you should come to Portland and go to this school or whatever, whatever it might be. <laughs> we do have schools here. It looks here. like you had nice. a little brain fart there. <laughs> <laughs> the word school escaped me. <laughs> so we like it when people give us suggestions and when people walk through the home at the events that we do bring the tiny house to, um, you know, people are so inspired in their own way because everybody's in a very different place emotionally, financially. And so the people come in here, they're inspired and then they want to help. And so some people donate. 
Tim sells his art and that is a donation um, to the nonprofit. But also people are like, well, I can't give money or time or anything. What can I do? I'm like, well, do you have a family member or a friend that is a professor or a principal or a let them know that we're trying to get this message out to a million Americans to inspire them to live more sustainably. And that we know that them walking through this house does that. We know for a fact that this is an incredible educational tool that wakes people up, help us get to those places. And so that's when we get tons of Facebook and Instagram messages. And then of course, people utilizing the map and dropping a pin and saying, okay, I went to your, I went to the 4th of July parade where you guys are at. I have a friend in Oregon that has, is a principal for a middle school. Please go and bring your house there. So that has been really fun. Any, any restrictions on um, minimum size or anything like that of the audience you go interact with? Um, we've mixed it up. We've had thousands of people come through in a day and we've had events with a hundred and they've both been great in very different ways. When it's a small group, we can really have that one-on-one interaction and I think people get a lot more out of it. And when there's thousands of people, you know, it's you guys have been to the tiny house events where you're in a huge line and you go in, you look around, you go right back out. And I don't know how much messaging we can get through in that sort. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's been a work in progress for us to maximize the education, even if it's just a two, three minute interaction. Yeah. So we have a little bit of signage up in the house right now. And we also have surveys that we, put up on the side of the tiny house via iPad kiosk. Those have been really great, but we're actually working with uh, a team of people to create signage, to make it more of a museum exhibit. Yeah. Like a welcome to the homo sapiens exhibit, Uh, population (laughs) of homo sapiens, the range of homo sapiens, the habitats, um, you know, how we've evolved as a homo sapien and how our habitats have changed over time. And, and to really show people, like, remember, if, if, if you're coming through and you're one of the thousands of people and you don't get a chance to talk to us because we don't have enough volunteers there to maximize our time to talk to as many people, you know, just walking through and seeing a sign that says Homo sapiens habitat and the Anthropocene, you know, and, and what we use and what our range is and, and seeing that we are not endangered. Um, that moment where people go, whoa, that's right. I am an animal. I am also in the food web. I am also using the same water and air and wood and all these same resources in order for me to survive. If that's all that people click with when they walk in, then I'm happy. But like Tim said, there's it ranges from that moment to having in-depth conversations about spirituality and politics and the American everything. Dream. Yeah, the American dream. Gosh, we are so programmed to have this like, huge American dream. And now we're finding that more and more people are not wanting that American dream. They want a different one for whatever motive, whether it's environmental stewardship or freedom or financial reasons. And going back to what you guys said at the very beginning of the program about what can somebody do in just a few minutes of their day? And we run into the legality of tiny homes all across the country. Obviously, this thing brings out all sorts of conversations out of people But we keep on running up against that all throughout the country. And tiny houses seem to be a great answer for so many different types of people, whether it's high school students before they go into college, all the way up to retirees who don't want to have the big house and the big mortgage anymore. And um, we've had a lot of great conversations just about tiny house legality. We've had uh, 
city and state officials come through the house and give their two cents. And really what we're finding is most of them only hear the bad side of tiny houses. So as far as the tiny house community goes, I know we're on the very periphery of that and you guys are doing such fantastic work getting the message out there, but really putting tiny houses in a positive light and showing how they fit into a community and how that can create a new American dream, I think is so important. And it just, we really get to see firsthand that it really impacts people. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my rambling rant right there. <laughs> Your <Awesome>. rambling rant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, Tim and Stephanie, thank you very much. For, the, for listeners, to find the suggested link, you've got to go to creativeanimal.org, click on projects. There's a drop down, click on tiny home, tiny home tour. And then there in the middle of the menu is the suggest where to go. Drop a pin. Yes. Drop a pin. Yes. Uh, I'm going to drop a pin myself. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I know that. I could tell by the way you look. Mm-hmm. I thought it too. It's a news. Okay. We're just going to blow by that Leave that, that pin right there. <laughs> or just put it right there on that board right there. Over by that snake. Are you dropping feet. it where you live? <laughs> yes. no, no, Not where he no. eats though. That's for no. sure. <laughs> Never. <laughs> anyway. So listeners, uh, you've, this has been a very, actually quite a unique show. Um, thank you very much for listening and tune in next week. We'll have another great uh, episode for you as we usually do. And um, any, oh no, we should nope. say thank you to our sound engineer. Yes. Thank who, you, Rick, for Rick, making us Rick. sound good Rick as is, always. Yeah, he's as good as we can be, whatever exactly. it can be. Yeah. And uh, turn in next week. All right. That's it. See ya. Bye. bye. See you in the flip side. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.